morning, everyone. How are you guys doing today? It's good to see you. Got a full house today. So glad, so glad that you guys are here on this summer morning. Real quickly, I want to show you something. Um, I don't know. We talk about kids' ministry. We talk about the fact that they had more fun, and and uh, you know, if if they're in here, they're certainly welcome to be in here. But uh, the name of our kids' curriculum right now is called despicable me i don't know if you can see this but these are two little handouts that they give every one of the kids it's got one of these little funny guys on this one of these little cartoon guys and last week's message uh, it was was the name of it was give me what i want so they hand these to these little kids and then it just talks about different scriptures in bible and and talks there's a memory verse uh, do not be overcome with evil but overcome evil with good and then the main point of, of the kids' message was God wants us to humble ourselves, turn to him, and trust him to give us only what, we, what ultimately brings us joy. So I just want you to know that people working in our kids' ministry, once again, we're not just babysitting kids and watching kids. They have their own curriculum, and it's a lot of fun. So I want to encourage you, first of all, if your kids aren't a part of our, our kids' ministry up through the fifth grade, I'd have them be a part of that. But the second thing is, if you're not serving in ministry anywhere, kids' ministry is an incredible place to be. I'm telling you, if I weren't here preaching and singing and doing all the things that I'm doing, I would be back in the kids' ministry talking about minions. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'd be talking. It's, it's, it's an incredible thing. Plus, it's the next generation. Uh, how many of you remember your Sunday school teacher or your kids' minister or your youth minister if you grew up in church? You remember those people had the greatest influence on you. It wasn't because they were scholars. It was just that they took the time, and they are special in your life. So if you're not serving anywhere, I, I, we have uh, some openings as far as, as teachers or whatever. We'll train you. We'll put a red T-shirt on you. We don't just throw you back there. It is an awesome thing to be part of kids' ministry and teaching in that, those environments or, or just helping corral kids. So be thinking about that. Write that down. If you want to learn more about that, you can uh, visit us, info at faithco.org. Well, we're kicking off a brand new series today uh, that we're calling that we're calling marriage or home building, and uh, we are going to spend the next few weeks. There we go, home builders. Uh, we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about this, and we're going to have a lot of fun with this. And uh, let me just say very, very quickly that August fourteenth. Everybody say August fourteenth. We are going to have a one-day Faith Co. marriage conference like we did two years ago. And when I say one day, I mean three hours because we ain't going to take a whole Saturday. I got stuff to do. No, no, I'm just kidding. But we feel like we can uh, cover a lot of uh, area in this uh, or cover a lot of ground in about three hours. Bring your spouse. We're going to offer breakfast to everybody. And uh, we'll talk more about this later as the details unfold. But that's, I, be I believe that that is three weeks from yesterday so you'll definitely want to be a part of that if you're a single if you're thinking about if you are a single if you're single you're one of those <laughs> if you're uh, just if you're thinking about getting married you you you're maybe you're uh your kids are thinking about getting married whatever this is for for the whole family we're gonna have a good time with it we're gonna watch some really good stuff we're also going to do some on-stage interviews we're gonna have a blast so that's august the 14th we don't have child care you got to figure that out for yourself but look at it as an investment. Look at it as a daytime date from 9 a.m. to noon. And then you can take your spouse out for lunch, right? 
So anyway, just look at it like that. Okay, well, I've got a lot of ground to cover today and a little bit of time, so let's get busy. I don't have time for this message, but we're going to cover as much as we can. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. Lord, I pray that you will speak to people. Lord, whatever you want to say to us, whether it be challenging, whether it be inspirational, I pray, Lord, that you will speak to us wherever we are. If, if, if people are watching us online, if people are here in the house, God, speak to us. And most of all, help our spiritual ears to be open to anything that you want to say to us today in Christ's name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, this is going to be a lot of fun. Home builders are tools or actions that help us build the life, build the marriages that we need, build the families or our lives. That's what we're talking about. We're going to be talking about different home builders over the next few weeks. You're glad that you're here because we're kicking it off today. This is going to be a little bit different and a special day. You're going to be glad that you were here. A home, a house, it doesn't just happen. Has anybody ever contracted or helped contract a house or did, did some improvements on your house. It doesn't just happen. It's got to be built. It begins with a design, a definition, a, a, a design, a definition, a plan for the structure that you're going to build. You have to have a foundation. You have to build on something solid. We're going to talk about that next week. You have to have building materials. What's your house going to be made out of? Wood, steel, wiring, paint supplies, etc. You have to have the right tools because when you have all of these things, it takes tools to be able to assemble the house that, or the home that you want. And then it has to have power. We have to have utilities, electric, gas, water, supply. Uh, they supply energy for your heating and your cooling system, clean water and your sewer. Uh, if you have all of these things in your house, it's like living, a home becomes like a living organism that you walk over to a knob in your kitchen and without even thinking you take it completely for granted that you turn on the water and it just comes out how special is that that you have running water or you walk over you walk over and you turn on the cold water and for no reason whatsoever you decide hey I want warm water so you the left hand you know the, the left side you turn that on and you didn't even heat that water you didn't even boil it you just put that in the overall system of your house and for water that you didn't even heat up you have warm water all of these things run. You, you, you walk over, you get finished using the restroom, excuse me, but you get finished using it and you flush the toilet and it disappears, right? If it works right, it disappears. And you don't have to worry about that anymore. You don't have to worry about these things because you put all of these and it's been built right. And in the wintertime, you walk into your, to a warm house, it, you didn't even tell your air conditioner, like, hey, kick on. It, it, it's automatically put in place, and it kicks on, and you walk into a warm house every night, and it, it kicks on and on off all by itself all the time because it's a system that's been put into place if it's built right. If a home is built right, it becomes a dwelling place for generations of families to grow up and be developed. How many of you remember growing up in a certain house you remember the house that you grew up. You remember that? A home becomes a dwelling place for families to grow up and be developed. Well, let's talk about home building principles. Let's talk about some of these home builders. First of all, what we're going to talk about today, one subject, and that is the subject of design. Design, the plan, the blueprint of your life and your home. How many of you know that design is a reflection of the designer? 
Design is a reflection of the designer. About 10 years ago when we decided that we were going to build on the Faith Co. Church, if you've been here for the last couple of years, you may not know this, but we started over in the small auditorium, which is now the kids' ministry. You might be thinking, how in the world did you guys uh, meet over there? Well, I'm telling you, we, we had three services at one time. But we met over there, and we decided to build this structure. And it was hard to find a designer for what we want. I don't know if, 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 if you've looked at this structure. It's a little bit taller than most facilities. I, I didn't want a regular uh, facility with a, you know, a gabled roof or whatever. I wanted something kind of like a warehouse look. And at the same time, this stage had a plan. Uh, we, have, we wanted to be able to do the community, the schools, have, have plays in here. Hey, did you know that this floor, if you know how to tap dance, this is the floor for you. This floor is made to be able, we have a few cloggers in the house. Can anybody clog? Can anybody do that? You guys want to see me clog? You want to see me clog? No, I'm not going to clog. You'd like to see that. I don't play that. See me make a fool out of myself. Anyway, um, uh, it, it took a certain design. And what happened was it took us about three or four people to talk to different designers because they had a certain in mind because a design is reflective of the designer. And I had this guy... Uh, somebody referred me to a certain guy, and uh, he was an architect, a designer, and he had me, he came and visited me, and I noticed that he looked, he looked like, this was in, you know, about 2011, something like that, he looked like he was, nothing wrong with this, but he looked like he came from the 80s when I first met him, his hairdo, his shoes and everything, well, I'm not a, you know, don't judge a, a book guy's, by its cover, his car was actually from the 80s, and he was uh, somewhat successful, but his car was a Cadillac, from the early 80s, and I just thought that was very interesting. So he said, hey, if you'll meet me at my house, we'll take a look at my house, and I have designs I want to lay back. Well, when I walk in his house, his house looked like something from the 80s. The color, you know, the forest green and the mauve and all that, and it looked like all that. And then he laid out his, his, his designs of the churches, and I'm like, oh, no, I don't like mauve. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know, it was just like, but nothing wrong with that. It was just like he was a certain designer, and he had a certain way, and, and I, I wanted something just a little bit more modern. Here's the deal. A design is reflective of a designer, and we have been made in God's image. Look at your neighbor and say, you've been made in God's image. You've been made in God's image. He has created you with his design in mind. God has not only defined, but he's also designed us for marriage and family. And Jesus taught about this, and this is in Matthew 19 and 3. Write this down if you have this, have notes, Matthew 19 and 3. And it says, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now that's an interesting question. We would say, no, it's not a good, not, that's not a, something that we would do. But in those days, it was lawful, and that's how they lived. You could divorce your wife for any reason that you saw necessary. She burned the chicken. You send her packing. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm overemphasizing this, but for no reason, any reason that you, if she displeased you in any way. Jesus answered, he says, have you not read? Now, remember, Jesus goes to the word. That's what we always want to do. We want to go to the Word. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? 
So to answer the question of divorce, Jesus turns the conversation to God's design of men and women and his purpose for marriage. So what happened was they walked, they walked up because they had a certain agenda and they wanted to know and they wanted to test him because this probably would go against what their Moses would say. So they had a question about divorce, but Jesus said, no, you're asking the wrong question. This is not a matter of divorce. This is a question of how God has created you for marriage. He always does that. He addresses the heart of the matter. And then Jesus goes all the way to the beginning to discuss our creation and our design as men and women. He, uh, he says that God has created you. You have a creator. How many of you know that you have been designed and you have been created by God? Amen? Amen. We all know this. We agree on this. Um, we have a certain design. Je check this. Jesus tells us that God made a male and female, which means that God tells us that, that Jesus says that God made two genders. Amen? God designed us this way because he has a purpose, not because he's against any of us, but because he has a purpose and he has a design. We can go against that design, but God has a purpose for us. Then he discusses the purpose of marriage. Verse 5. Jesus said, therefore, now remember, anytime therefore is in the Bible, it's kind of like, I just told you this. This is the principle. This is the command. When therefore is there, I heard somebody say it like this, anywhere you see therefore, you need to know why it's, what, what it's there for. But therefore means, okay, I just told you that, here's the why behind it. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his what? His wife. And the two shall become what? One flesh. So they are no longer two, but what? One flesh. Therefore, God is joined together. Let no, let not man separate. Jesus was saying this. Marriage was created by God so that a man and a woman could be joined as one. Why? Because there is a result of a man and a woman becoming one. And that is the purpose of, of one is marriage. And the purpose of marriage is family. So marriage has a purpose beyond finding someone to love and to live with, okay? That, a lot of times we get that twist in our culture. Why do we get married? Because we need to find somebody that loves us. I want to I wanna find some, don't you want somebody to love? You know what I'm saying? I, I need to find somebody to love. I need to find somebody that, that loves me just the way I am. That's why I want to get married. I need to find somebody. Have you heard this? I need to find somebody that makes me happy. If you want to be happy, don't get married, okay? That's not why you get married. I'm not saying that it can't make you happy, but don't get married to make you happy. If you want to be happy, go buy a cat, or better yet, not a cat. If you want to be happy, go buy a dog, all right? Go buy an animal that, that, that just, you, that, you know, a, a, a cat will crawl up in your lap and purr, and they got this little engine sound that makes you fall asleep. Maybe that's just me. Um, uh, you know, or, or a dog, you know, will just, 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 you know, a dog is like really, really insecure all the time, like love me, pet me, you know, you know what I'm saying? They're just, if you want to be happy, marriage is not the thing. That doesn't mean that there aren't benefits. Listen, marriage is bliss some of the time, right? Marriage is wonderful a lot of the time, but you don't get married to be happy. You get married because you want to build a family. You want to build a home. 
You want to start a life. You may want to raise kids or whatever that looks like. Um, uh, don't get married for those reasons. Get married because you're building a home, home builders. Jesus doesn't stop there. He then addresses our failures in this. And then they said to him, verse 7, check this. Then why did Moses, pay close attention to what they said. Then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? They were like, we got you. You're going against what Moses said. And he said to them, because of your hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Check this. He goes back to the beginning again. But from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, at the beginning, that was not God's purpose for marriage. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And there are other reasons for divorce that I don't want to go into. Jesus was simply addressing this thing where people would divorce people for no reason or for whatever reason that they thought. So first, Jesus corrects what they are saying. Because they had been misinformed, they had been misled, therefore they were taking the scriptures out of context. A lot of times we take scriptures out of context from things that we've heard because of TikTok theology or whatever, or social media. We hear certain things that, that people take out of context, but a lot of times we get involved in what I call misbeliefs. I heard it called this misbeliefs. When you believe something that that's, that's not true, that affects your worldview. Misbeliefs. When you believe something that, that, that is not true, that affects your worldview. Your worldview is your BS, your belief system. All right? That's your worldview. This is, this is what I, I believe. Now, check this out. He said, they said, why did Moses command this? And Jesus followed up and said, Moses did not command. Moses allowed. This is a perfect example when people attempt to change the wording and meaning of Bible passages to fit our lifestyle. That happened so many times. Jesus was saying, hey, that's not what that means. That's not what is said here. That's not what is, has intended. Listen to me. Just because God may allow a behavior for a season in my life, in your life, does not mean that that is God's plan for my life. A lot of times we think, well, this has worked out for me, or this has worked out for them, or, you know, this happened, and I didn't get struck by lightning, so it must be all right. Listen to me. Just because, and that's what, was, that's what Jesus was saying, that God allowed that in the Old Testament. Just because God may allow something in our lives, because we may go off rails, or we might live a sinful lifestyle, we might do some things, just because God might allow something for a season in our lives does not mean that that is God's plan for our lives. And that's what he was saying to these people that were standing around. Jesus addresses the real issue. People want to be saved, but they don't want to change a lot of times. In other words, it's kind of like the rich young man that he, was, he had a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. It was just that his money had him. And Jesus knew this about this young man. So he came, comes to Jesus and says, I, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, okay, for you, you're going to have to give up everything to follow me. And the scripture says that he put his head down and he walked away. Why? Because he wanted a savior, but he didn't want a Lord. A lot of times we want a savior. We want, we want to be saved from our sins. We want to, we want to walk into the next life. We want, to, we want to experience eternal salvation, but we don't want to live according to the way that Jesus teaches. So what does Jesus do? First, he corrects a misbelief. He says, no, you're saying Moses commanded it, but actually it's that God allowed it. It was allowed. He corrects a misbelief, number one. Number two, he confronts a misbehavior. 
In other words, Jesus, he confronts the, the, the misbehavior. This is what marriage is in this culture, in this society. I'm going to change that. He, he, he defined marriage once and for all in this setting. And number three, he condemns the sin. We miss this. We talk about how Jesus is loving. Yes, Jesus is merciful. Yes, but God, Jesus in the flesh, condemns sin. He calls it out and he tells them, stop doing this. If you do this, you're committing adultery. And that is a sin. Now it was up to them to repent and to conform to God's design for marriage instead of living a desired lifestyle. This is how we've always done it. Jesus calls them out, confronts it, corrects it, and then they have to make a decision about that. This is similar to major issues in our culture today. Instead of conforming to what the Bible says, hey, let's redefine wordage in the Bible. Let's attack the word of God and say that it's an old, outdated book. Let's attack certain words in the Bible. Let's redefine marriage and genders and back it up. Back up what we say by attacking the validity of the Bible and how it was put together and the meaning of translated words. Here's a good question. As a society, as a culture, is this something that we can or have the right to do? Do we have the right to do that? Let's address that just for a second. There's so much that's being said and believed that I think is inaccurate. So I thought I'd bring this up. <laughs> is it okay if we talk today? Is it all right if we just have, have a conversation, even if it is a little one-sided? <laughs> I just want to talk about something. As our church and as, as your pastor, I just want to talk about some things. And what I'm about to say, I know it's going to be challenging for some of us, so let me say this with, with the most sincerity, with, with extreme sincerity and love. And compassion, I just want to have a conversation with you, knowing that, that wherever you are on this matter, I love you as a pastor, I love you as a person, this is not me judging. If you were to sit down with me and have conversations with you, you would know that I was the least most uh, judgmental person that you've ever met. I am the last person that can ever judge anyone. This is me briefly, not exhaustively, this is briefly me briefly talking about what the Bible says and does not say about homosexuality. First of all, let me say this. The Bible does not go into deep discussion about homosexuality. It is not a total top to bottom to do and what not to do on this matter. The Bible doesn't say a lot about a lot of things that we think are, are, are racial or social justice. Or The Bible doesn't go into a lot of things that, that we wish it would go into. It's not meant to. But we have to realize that your Bible is not just another book. In fact, the Bible is probably one of the most unique books that has ever been written. Actually, the Bible is not the book. It is a compilation of 66 books. Let me just talk about the Bible for a second. Forty God-inspired authors writing from three different continents, written from three different languages over the process of 1,600 years, somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 years. Those are the compilation of the Bible. 1,500-year spans of different writings of the Bible. Still, it maintains perfect consistency of message. Its writings point to Christ, whose work on the cross was ordained by God and prophesied by Old Testament writings and prophets. No other book in all of history has that. The Bible is written about creation, fall and redemption of mankind. It is the story of a people who would prophesy about a coming Messiah, 
Through these people would come the Savior of the world who would die for, uh, for the salvation of the people and all people in our races. That whoever would believe in him would be saved and experience eternal life. And then Jesus would make disciples through whom would, would, he would, would give birth to, the, to what is known today as the church. And within the context of that greater story, and I know there's a whole lot more and all that, but within the context of that greater story are instructions about how to live. And it doesn't just, there aren't different books about different subjects and sins in our lives. It just, within that context, the Bible is kind of like true north, heading this direction. And along the way, we're going we're gonna to work out some issues in our life. And in all of that, we have free will. And God has given this season of time called our lives that we get to live however we want to live. But in the end, we give an account. Your Bible is not an old, outdated book. It's, it wasn't written by a bunch of yahoos that got off a ship one day with their hair sticking up, said, hey, let's write a book. Put it in the church. It's not like that. bunch of dummies. No, it was meticulously. And, and I, I would tell you, study how even the, the Bible was put together and how the books were in there. The people that put this, there are people that had dedicated their lives, God-inspired writings that word for word translated, wrote on animal skins, rolled up and preserved for thousands of years. It's important that we believe in the inerrancy and God-inspired writings and the compilation of the Bible. We have to start with that. That is, this is the Holy Scriptures. If we don't start with that, we don't have this conversation. If you don't believe the Bible is what it says it is and what it's taught and what Jesus said it was, if you don't believe that, we can't even have a conversation. But because when and only when we do this, we conform to live by what the Bible says. And we don't change the scriptures to conform to the world's patterns. When I really believe the Bible is what it says it is, and the Bible says what it says it says, then I change my life to live according to what the Scripture says, regardless of my struggle, regardless of how I feel, rather than change the truth to pattern a lifestyle. There is nothing that I wouldn't give up or live to live according to God's plan for my life. That's the idea that we have to have. That's the mentality that we, there's nothing that I wouldn't give up to live according to God's plan with my life. So we start with this. The Bible is God's word. Jesus is his son, the word of God in the flesh while he was on earth. And with this being established, let me say this. Nowhere in the Bible is any way, no, nowhere in the Bible in any way does it confirm, affirm, or give blessing to same-sex marriage or relationships. Nowhere. And I said, listen, aren't you so glad you came to Faith Hill Church today? cover this and if you're here for the first time first of all this I've never preached a message like this and you don't hear me say these kinds of things you hear me put this in messages from time to time but if you're here for the first time ask yourself why am I here am I here just by chance or maybe God wants to speak to me about something from somebody that that you know from somebody that can you would you agree with me that this is probably not the easiest thing to talk about in our culture today well Travis you might get canceled I've been canceled my whole life. I came out of my mother's womb being canceled. You know what I'm saying? I'm not worried about being canceled. 
we stand before God one of these days and give an account as teachers, not only for the words that we say, but also for the words that we didn't say. Is it, if it's confrontational, do we not say it? If it, if it hurts people's feelings, do we not say it? I've, I've, you know, the, these are things that you pray for weeks and weeks and ask God, that, that, you know, will you show up? <laughs> will you show up and make sure that this is done right? Um, I've heard the debate before, and here's a good point. The word homosexuality was not even in the Bible until 1946. It's pretty much a modern word. But according to 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, the meaning of the word there is, let me just read this, because this backs up what I said earlier. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Now look at this. This is an example that it just doesn't nail one sin and spend a whole chapter. This is how the Bible addresses all struggles and all sin. It puts it within the, within the context of other sins. It says, uh, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Okay, l l that word has not always been in, in uh, writings of the Bible. However, the word... The Greek word from which that word is derived, which is arsenio kotei, arsenio kotei means to bet a man the way you would a woman. And if you go into, if you go into all the meaning and all the things that, of how people were abused in the day of the Bible, there were different, there were four or five different ways that people were abused that people would say, well, that's what that meant. I just want to tell you that those things aren't addressed. There's just kind of like this blanket statement. Here's what I want to say about all that, and I'm, I'm going to move on after this. Every time the Bible mentions this word in the Greek, arsenio kotei, every time the word, every time the Bible mentions this word in the Greek or the translation of the word in Hebrew in the Old Testament, it is in no way in an affirming nature, but in fact, it is a condemning one. And if you read Romans 1 and 21, it sheds a very negative light on this issue and I want to say this in my humble personal belief and, and if you have if this is a conversation that you want to have later I will listen to anything that you want to say I just, I just want to speak from a place of where I've studied both, uh, both both points of view many points of view in my humble personal belief it is that this issue is quite, quite clear for anybody who studies this matter with an open heart and really looks into the definition and the translation of the words and we personally must decide what we want to do with that knowledge. Well, Pastor Travis, you don't understand as a pastor. I get it. As a pastor, when I'm going to certain environments with certain people, or anytime, for some reason, people, uh, my line of work and who I am, I don't come into contact with as many different types of people as you do simply because, and another thing is, Usually people's best behavior is practiced when they're around me. Am I making sense? So uh, let's just say that you have more experience with relationships or with, with people uh, in certain environments. As Christians, let me say this. If you've grown up in church, as Christians, it's easy to point out someone else's sin when it doesn't affect you. It's easy to call out somebody's sin. It's easy... Uh, you know, it's easy to think badly about somebody else's sin, somebody else's struggles, who uh, might live a lifestyle as long as it never affects you, as long as it's not personal. 
And I feel like we have done this as a church. We have not handled and had open conversations about this issue the way that we have. Instead, we have pushed people away. And because of that, it's caused some major issues between the church and a community. I think we failed in that area. Maybe I have failed personally. But what happens when it becomes personal in your life? Because that's when it really makes a difference. What happens when your best friend tells you, and you didn't, maybe you knew or maybe you didn't know, what happens when your best friend tells you that, that he's gay? Then it becomes personal. Are you with me? What happens when your son that you raised in your house for 16 or 17 years tells you that he's gay? Or your daughter says, well, then it becomes personal. And all of a sudden, you have to take a different perspective because now this affects me. As long as it doesn't affect me, as long as I can point to people and it's not a part of my life, and part of my, as long as people you know, with sin don't come to church, it's always easy to point at somebody else's sin than ours, right? Well, about 30 years ago, and I'm going to be very transparent with the time that I have left, about 30 years ago, this, this became very personal to me. I grew up as a pastor's son, we as a uh, pastor's family. My brother, who was 20 years old at the time, I would have been 25, I'm five years older, he announced to the family that he was gay. And this was back in 1992, when if, that's, if that was your story, you really didn't tell anybody. That was something that, this was before the parades and everything, you know, before the months and the flags and all that. This, this, was, this was a different time. And I can tell you, I could, I could tell you what triggered this. I grew up with, we were very, very close. Um, I, we grew up with, a, with an abusive father and an absent father. And I'll just give you a little bit of insight. I remember, we sh you know, when you grow up with a big family, you share bedrooms. We had a bunk bed, and I would be trying to go to sleep at 17 years old. And my 12-year-old brother would talk about my dad. He would say, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. It'd be easy. I can go in there and get a steak now. And i just punch the body. Shut up and go to sleep, you know. If I would have known then what I know now, you know what I'm saying, where this, where this would take him. And uh, can, I, can I tell you without, can I not tell you and let you just get the brevity of this situation. At 25 years old, I was just starting my ministry. And to have this knowledge, and he was a, a very close and a very big part of my life. And I'm not going to give you all the details because it would take a couple hours, but for 15 years, there was this incredible wedge between his life and I that was, what was heartbreaking and wrenching because of what I believed and where I was taking my life and I was taking my family and then his lifestyle and what, you know, our debates and our conversations and all that. And then throw kids. My son was born and my daughter was born. And then what, what did all does this look like in the 90s? And somewhere along the line, somewhere in, uh, in the early years of, of this decision, he, uh, he became HIV positive. And I remember when I was 40 years old, we were going on this mission trip, our second mission trip. And I, we had about eight people at the church, and I had to go get some supplies from the mall. And I was walking in Dillard's, and uh, that's when the phone call came. And it was my mom, and she said, hey, Randon just passed away. And it's kind of blurry, but I remember somebody standing over me and saying, you have to get out of the street. Somebody's going to run over you. And I got up. Then, you know, my mind went to everything, every conversation. Over the next three days, I came back, and I talked to the people uh, at, that were uh, on the mission trip. And I said, you guys got to go to Mexico. I can't go. 
So we took hands, and they all prayed for me. And we all prayed for my family. And I had to do a funeral that weekend, and it was very hard. But I remember two weeks before that, he gave me a call, and he goes, hey, I just want you to know something. I know we haven't always been agreed on things, but I want you to know I respect what you've done. Travis, you, you, you always did the best that you could do. And I want you to know that uh, a couple weeks ago, I knelt down. He was a barber. He said uh, that uh, <laughs> he changed his name to Rocco. <laughs> it's always funny to me. I'm not calling you Rocco. Anyway, um, but he, he said, I knelt down in my barber chair, and I gave my life to Christ, and I rededicated my life. And I want you to know that, I, that I'm struggling with this. But you've been right about this. I've just been doing my own thing. Long conversation, different, di different subject. Here's what I want to tell you. The reason I want to tell you this is because when I speak to you about this, I don't speak to you from a place of judgmental mentality. I speak to you from a place of brokenness from somebody that had to go through something for over a decade, and I had to wrestle with something. Here's what I want to tell you. My personal experience changed my perspective about this. Growing up in a Pentecostal conservative home in a small town, my personal experience changed my perspective of this, but it never changed God's truth. And I believe what's happening in this generation is personal experiences because I have a friend or a loved one. I can't imagine how God would deal with somebody. Personal experience is eclipsing the truth of God. My personal experience should change my expression of love. Let me tell you something. Here's what that did in my life. I am now more compassionate. I am more loving. I am more merciful merciful, understanding, I am more sensitive on this and all issues that anybody might struggle, including myself. I've had to be patient with myself. But his truth is unaffected by anything that I've come to grips with. God's truth did not change just because I got woke to something. You hear me? If you disagree, I encourage you, study the answers but, but his truth is everlasting, and it will endure through every attack that this generation can throw at it. This is nothing new, attacking the word of God. It's always been this way. And I want to close with this. My time's gone. I want to close with this. Jesus reminds us that we have been designed by a creator. We've been designed a certain way for a certain purpose that leads us to marriage. So we can physically, not just spiritually, but physically, be one with someone in marriage because God has something very special and God has something very wonderful and very fulfilling that he wants to do through you through something called family and a home. But you got to do it God's way. And there are alternatives. There are substitutes. But we have to look at God's design. I want to challenge you today as we pray. Choose to live by God's design regardless of what the trends of the world are. Regardless of of the woke generation, what they're telling us. Choose to live God's design so God can do what he has planned to do in your life. Amen? So, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today, and thank you, Lord, for speaking to us, Lord. And uh, I pray that uh, this message is not 
about offending people. It's about speaking truth. That's what we're trying to do today. And if my words have in any way offended, if my words in any way have, have wronged anybody, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will do its work in the name of Jesus. Lord, may love be communicated from Faith Go Church today. May mercy, understanding. Lord, let your spirit do the work in the lives of people. And at the same time, Lord, I pray that we live not according to our design, but according to your design, not according to the world's truth, but according to your truth. And I pray, Lord, that you will speak today in the name of Jesus. As your heads are bowed, if you're watching this online, I'm talking to you also. Maybe you're here today and you've been, maybe you've been misled, maybe you've been misinformed, maybe you have been mistreated and it has caused you to take a path that you normally would have taken. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe in your marriage, you have been, haven't been living according to God's design. And we're going to talk about all that over the next few weeks. But right now, maybe God needs to bring a healing to your life. A lot of times, we behave a certain way because we've been misled and mistreated and misinformed. Will you, will you please let God heal you today? Will you please let God heal your heart from anything that has happened as I pray with you? Heavenly Father, I pray for every person that's here. Sometimes life can beat us up. Sometimes life can leave us stranded. But you are our Heavenly Father. In fact, you are a father to the fatherless. So I pray, Lord, that you will speak to every person that's here. Lord, that you will mend the brokenhearted, that you will heal the hurting. And Father, I pray that we release our design, our conformity to the world, and we follow your design. Father, we follow your truth today. We commit to it today. If you receive that, say amen. If you'll continue to bow your heads, if you're here today, and you say, Travis, I don't even follow Christ. He's not Lord and Savior of my life. Maybe that's something that you can say. You can say, I don't. Or maybe you say, Travis, at some point something happened. I walked away from God, and today I want to rededicate my life to Christ. If that's you, I'd like to pray with you. Whatever the story may be, maybe this is a first-time commitment. If you're watching this online, you feel like the Lord is tugging at your heart. Can I lead us in a prayer? Uh, if there's anybody here with nobody looking around, I'd like to know if there's anybody in the house. I'm not going to have you stand or embarrass you in any way. I'd just like to know if I'm praying for anybody today before I pray. If, I can, if you can say, Travis, that's me. If you pray that prayer, if you'll say that prayer, I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to get right with the Lord. I'm going to give my life to Christ quickly. Just put your hand up and put it down. Is there anybody that can say that in the house today? That's me, Travis. I'm going to give my life to Christ today. Okay. All right, we're going to pray. And as we pray, if you're watching us online, repeat this prayer after us. If you're here in the house and maybe I didn't see your hand, just repeat this prayer after us and give your life to Christ. Come home. Let's all pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as I am before you today, I give you my life. And Jesus, I ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life. 
to forgive me for all of my sins, to wash me clean and whole by your grace. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate. Go ahead and stand up. Amen, amen. What an awesome message to kick off this series. If you guys will stand to your feet, a lot of you are already standing. I just have a few announcements for you. First and foremost, if you gave your life to Christ today, I want you to know that is the best decision that you will ever make. And we would love to walk alongside you in your journey. And so if you'll text SAVE to the number on the screen behind me, or we have an awesome prayer team that's going to be at the back of the auditorium to help you with your next steps. If you have any questions or need any guidance or even have a prayer request that's not related to your salvation today. Uh, my first announcement for you guys is that our prayer group meets on the second and fourth Wednesdays of every single month at 5 o'clock. Um, prayer is the foundation of our church, and we would love for you to be a part of that. I try to make it every week. Baylor tries to make it every week. Um, so we would love to have you guys there. Also, if you have a child between the ages of 6th through 12th grade, Faith Coast Students is back. We are starting our third week um, back this week um, on Wednesday at 623 is when our doors open, and we would love to have your child there. And that's all that I have for you guys. Um, I just want to pray a quick blessing over you. May the Lord bless you, protect you, be gracious to you, and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great week.